Good morning. Good to see you this Lord's Day morning. Time when we can open God's Word and see what He has for us this morning. Go ahead and take your Bibles and turn to the book of 1 John. Just as people are sharing and a lot in regards to elections and then one of the primary issues of, of life that's a concern for believers. Um, this message of, of 1 John so aptly applies to us today, to our country, uh, to the state of our nation, because uh, what we'll see in 1 John is that there are individuals who claim to know the God of light. They claim to know him. And yet, as we'll see here in 1 John 1, 5 through 2, 2, that their claims cannot be substantiated that they know the God of light because their deeds are that of darkness. And, um, and this is not just prevalent um, within um, our country as a whole, but within, quote, the, the church of what we have. And so this isn't a message just where we sit back and say, oh, yeah, that's them. It's, uh, it's, as we look in God's words, it's when we ask, God, are there resemblances of this in, in my own heart, in my own life, in our own church? Let's go ahead and and read here in 1 John 1, beginning in verse 1. What was from the beginning, what we have heard and what we have seen with our eyes, what we have looked at and touched with our hands concerning the word of life, and life was manifested and we have seen and testified and proclaimed to you the eternal life which was with the Father and was manifested to us. What we have seen and heard we proclaim to you also, so that you too may have fellowship with us. And indeed, our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. These things we write so that our joy may be made complete. Verse 5. This is the message which we have heard from him and announced to you that God is light and in him there is no darkness at all. If we say that we have fellowship with him and yet walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light as he himself is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus his Son cleanses us from all sin. If we say that we have no sin, we are deceiving ourselves, and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and righteous to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say that we have not sinned, we make him a liar, and his word is not in us. Chapter 2. My little children, I am writing these things to you so that you may not sin. And if if anyone sins, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. And he himself is the propitiation for our sins, and not for ours only, but also for those of the whole world. Let's go to the Lord in prayer once again. God, is. we just have this opportunity, Lord, to come before your word. God, to come before this light, this message, God. Lord, may our hearts be humble, God. May we be ready to receive your word this day, God, I pray. May you help us, Lord. We recognize that it's your grace, um, grace alone, that would allow us to hear your word, God, and apply it to our lives today, God. And so I just ask that you help each one of us, God, help me. Uh, Lord, help me to communicate your word and help us to realize today, God, that, the, that this is what it is. 
It's your word, God. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. So here in in this epistle of John, in the first four verses of this book, he, he talks about this message where he says, From the beginning, what we have heard, what we've seen with our eyes, what we've looked at and touched with our hands concerning the word of life, concerning Christ. And then verse 3 says, What we have seen and heard, we proclaim to you also. This is what we proclaim to you. Well, what does he proclaim? In verse 5, he gives more of the content of this message that he is, has proclaimed to them. And this is the message in verse 5 that we have heard from him and announced to you that God is light and in him there is no darkness at all. That God is light here is in the sense of he's, he's pure, he's holy, he's without sin. You know, we think back to uh, the Gospel of John that speaks much of this light, this light incarnate in the Son, Jesus Christ, who came in the flesh and manifested the God who is light. In John three nineteen to 21, it says this, This is the judgment that the light has come into the world, and men love the darkness rather than the light, for their deeds were evil. For everyone who does evil hates the light and does not come to the light, for fear that his deeds will be exposed. But he who practices the truth comes to the light so that his deeds may be manifested as having been wrought in God. So Jesus Christ, light incarnate, light manifested. And here we have the message being that God is light, perfect, holy, without sin. Christ said, I am the light of the world in John 8. He who follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of light. John twelve thirty five to 36. Jesus said to them, for a little while longer, the light is among you. Walk while you have the light so that darkness will not overtake you. He who walks in the darkness does not know where he goes. While you have the light, believe in the light so that you may become sons of the light. And what an exhortation today. Because there's not always going to be the day, the time when we have the light, where people, where individuals have the opportunity to come to the light, to come out of darkness into the light. And Jesus' exhortation there, as he's coming to the end of his life on, on earth, his earthly ministry, he exhorts them, the time is coming, I will not always be with you, you will not always have the light in, in this way with you. Believe now. Because darkness is coming. And so this is the message that God is light. He is holy. He is perfect. He is without sin. There is no darkness in him. And as it says here in verse 5, there's no darkness at all. In, in the text, it simply ends with the word that says none. In him there is no darkness. None. None whatsoever. And this is key to the message here of the book of 1 John because when we're talking about true spirituality, true fellowship with God, it's not based on the light that we think we have or the light that we think we are. It's based on the true light, the one in whom there is no darkness at all. But Because we're pretty good light diggers, if it could be said that way. 
If you talk to individuals very much about the gospel of Jesus Christ, they'll go digging up light in their life, won't they? Or suppose light. They'll say, but look, I'm a pretty good person. I'm not that bad. You know, I've done pretty good in my life. Certainly God will see that. But as they say those things, have they seen the light, the one in whom no darkness exists? There is no darkness, none, none. Well, in John, there are these individuals who claim that they have fellowship with this God of light. There are individuals who are claiming to have fellowship with this God of light. They have this claim, they have this profession in their life that they know this God of light. Well, claims can be tested, can't they? If I stood up here and said, I claim to be a carpenter, that could pretty quickly be put to the test, right? Anybody have any work to do at their house? John Mark, come on over. I need some cabinets hung in my house. And you know what? You would quickly see that that claim is false. (laughs) I'm not a carpenter. Claims can be tested. And, And the claim of faith can be Tested. It's not something that is merely experiential, that is, that is merely subjective. There is the witness of the Spirit in one's life, and it bears forth at, out in, in fruit in an individual's life. And, and so that's what we have here in the following verses then, through the rest of this section. These claims, these professions to know the God of light, tested by one's attitude with sin. Because he is the God of light, in whom there is no darkness whatsoever, one's claim to know this light can be tested in regards to their attitude or relationship with sin. And so what we have here, we have three tests in the following verses here. They're stated both negatively by the conditional conjunction if and then positively by the conditional conjunction if. So notice here in verse 6, he says, if we say that we have fellowship with him. Now there's the false, here's the false claim in verse 6. If we say that we have fellowship with him and yet walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. There's the false claim. Here's the truth, verse 7, but if we walk in the light as he himself is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus his Son cleanses us from all sin. Then verses 8 and 9 do that same thing, and then uh, verse 10, and then verses 2, 1, and 2 do that very same thing. So the first test here is do we walk in darkness or light? The first test in regards to the claim that we know the God of light Do we walk in darkness or do we walk in the light? As I read that first false claim there in in verse 6, he says, if we have fellowship with him, we have fellowship with God. And we walk in darkness, he says, we lie and we do not practice the truth. Here, walking indicates something that is continuous. You're walking in darkness. Here, you're claiming to have fellowship with him who is the God of light, and yet you walk in darkness. You walk a life uh, continuously 
In darkness you lie, and you do not practice the truth. Exactly how these individuals walk in darkness can be seen by some of the other issues that take place in the book of 1 John. For example, in in chapter 2, verse 9, notice what it says here. The one who says he is in the light and yet hates his brother is in the darkness until now. Another verse, 23 of chapter 2. He says, whoever denies the Son does not have the Father. The one who confesses the Son has the Father. So how can you, and these individuals in in chapter 2, he says that they went out from us. Sorry, I was looking for that verse. I didn't have it marked. In verse 19, chapter 219, they went out from us, but they were not really of us. For if they had been of us, they would have remained with us, but they went out. Why? What were some of the problems here? Well, one, uh, they, they say that they're in the light, yet they hate their brethren. Uh, another issue is in regards to denying the deity of Jesus Christ. They, den- they deny the son. And this is an issue that, you know, is addressed uh, throughout the letter of First John here. So those are just some of the ways that they they walk in darkness. And so God's word says here in verse 6, once again, if we say we have fellowship with him, with who, once again, in verse 5, this God of light, and yet we walk in darkness, we lie. That's not, it's not reality. That's not true spirituality. How can you say you walk in the light, that you have fellowship with the God of light, and yet you walk in darkness? Because for those who have the light, that light shines brighter and brighter. In Proverbs 14 and 19, it says this, But the path of the righteous is like the light of dawn, that shines brighter and brighter into the full day. The way of the wicked is like darkness. They do not know over what they stumble. How can light walk in darkness? Everywhere light shines, it dispels the darkness. What relationship does it have? And think about this, how in the world can one who has fellowship with the God of light walk in darkness when God, it says in Colossians 1.13, rescued us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved son. 1 Peter 2.9 also, it says this, and he has called us out of darkness into his marvelous light. So see, that's not reality. It cannot be God takes his child, and removes him out of darkness and places him into the light. No longer able to continue to walk in darkness. But he says, here's the truth then. Verse 7, But if we walk in the light as he himself is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus his Son cleanses us from all sin. If we walk in the light as he himself is in light, we have fellowship with one another. It's interesting that he says that. It's interesting that he says that we have fellowship with one another rather than saying we have fellowship with God. 
Because that was the claim uh, previous in verse 6, that we have fellowship with God. But here he says, if we walk in the light, we have fellowship with one another. John seems to be emphasizing here that those who have fellowship with God have fellowship with one another. Because here's the big issue, is that they're claiming to love God, yet hate the brethren. They're claiming to be able to have fellowship with God while not having fellowship with the saints. And he says that cannot be. If you have fellowship with God, you will have fellowship with the saints. It's kind of like what we were talking about Wednesday night in our um, small groups. You cannot love God without loving one another. It, It cannot happen. And for the believer who has fellowship with God will have fellowship with his family. With his children. So this here is to rule out the claim of the false teachers that they can have fellowship with God while not sharing fellowship with other believers. So there's the first test. Do we walk in darkness or do we walk in the light? We cannot think... That if we live a life of walking in darkness, that we have fellowship with the God of light. It cannot be. But if we walk in the light, we have fellowship. As he, if we walk in the light as he is in the light, then we have fellowship with one another. And the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. Now the second test here, in verses 8 and 9. The false claim in verse 8 says this, If we say that we have no sin, we are deceiving ourselves, and the truth is not in us. If we say we have no sin, this false claim is that we are not guilty of sin. We are not guilty of sin now. Not that necessarily we have not sinned. That's going to be another issue later on here. According to one writer He says this, what the secessionists here, the false teachers were claiming was was not that they were by nature free from the sin principle, but that they were not guilty of committing sins, by which they probably meant they they had not sinned since they came to know God and experienced the anointing. And before we stand back and say, you know, I would never say that. There are many other subtle ways that we dismiss sin in our life, where we say that, you know what, I don't, I, I don't have sin. I have no sin. We dismiss sin often by excusing ourselves, don't we? He just made me mad. It's a way of just excusing ourselves, dismissing ourselves from that sin. They had it coming. They deserved it. I just, gave them, I just gave them what they deserve. I was just telling the truth. Can't hide the facts. I was just telling the truth. It could be used to dismiss gossip. You know, I was just sharing a concern for the person. I was just sharing a prayer request about the person. But the reality is, we are good at that. Just in human nature, in the flesh, and especially in our country, we're good at finding someone else or something else to blame besides where the blame lies. In our hearts, in ourselves. 
So here these false teachers are, would say that we have no sin. We don't have any sin. Listen, we, we need to own up to sin. We need to, we need to be quick to humble ourselves and recognize, you know what, I very well could have sinned and not even realized it. And stop excusing and dismissing sin. Excusing ourselves but saying, well, if you only knew what they did wrong to me, you would understand why I'm acting this way towards this person. If you had to live with this person, then you would understand why I act and have this attitude towards this person. And I'm not saying it's easy. None of us would say it's easy. But that does not excuse our responsibility for our actions and attitudes in whatever situation that we find ourselves in. We're the one responsible. We don't sin because someone else made us sin. We sin because they simply help reveal what's already in our hearts. When somebody is pushing our buttons, what comes out is not something that was not already in our hearts. It's something that is there. And we bear the responsibility of that. But as we'll see here, if we do not come to that part of owning up to our sin and our responsibility, we will not experience the forgiveness of God who is faithful and just to forgive us our sins if we confess. But in order to confess, we first have to acknowledge that I've sinned, right? These individuals in verse 8 are not ready to say, yes, I confess I've sinned because they haven't sinned. They don't have any problems here. But what is the truth in verse 8? Or I'm sorry, verse 9. The truth here, if we confess our sins, He is faithful, He is righteous to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. What a glorious truth. What a glorious truth. Why? Why? excuse our sin why try to hide why try to suppress the reality the, the sin in our life instead of coming out with it and confessing it and experiencing the grace and the forgiveness of god almighty why would we do that why we need to stop believing the lie that we need to suppress this that maybe there isn't forgiveness for this sin maybe you've crossed the line maybe you've sinned too much and, and, and there's no forgiveness for you at this point. Maybe there's the lie, you know what, if you come out with this, everybody's going to reject you. Oh, if we're going to experience the forgiveness of sin, we must acknowledge the sin, we must confess it, and we will find mercy. We will find compassion by God through His children for that sin. Let's go ahead and turn to Psalm 32. And we'll come back to 1 John here. But Psalm 32. Psalm 32 is a psalm that expresses repentance over sin. And, and what he says here is, what we are talking about here in First John, but Psalm 32, a psalm of David. And we know 
of a number of the sins in David's life. And we know of the forgiveness and the grace he experienced as well in regards to these sins. And this is what he writes here in Psalm 32. How blessed is he whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. How blessed is the man to whom the Lord does not impute iniquity and whose spirit there is no deceit. But look in verse 3. He was in the camp with those false teachers, the false claim. And back in verse 8 of 1 John. He says, when I kept silent about my sin, my body wasted away through my groaning all day long. For day and night your hand was heavy upon me. My my vitality was drained away as with the fever heat of summer. But look, here we have 1 John 1, 9. I acknowledge my sin to you and my iniquity I did not hide. I said I will confess my transgressions to the Lord and you forgave the guilt of of my sin. Therefore, let everyone who is godly pray to you in a time when you may be found. Surely in a flood of great waters they will not reach him. You are my hiding place. You preserve me from trouble. You surround me with songs of deliverance. Deliverance. Verse 8, I will instruct you and teach you in the way which you should go. I will counsel you with my eye upon you. Do not be as the horse or as the mule, which have no understanding, whose trappings include bit and bridle to hold them in check. Otherwise, they will not come near to you. Many are the sorrows of the wicked, but he who trusts in the Lord, loving kindness shall surround him. Be glad in the Lord and rejoice, you righteous ones, and shout for joy, all you who are upright in hearts. Doesn't that sound much better than denying sin, than suppressing sin, than trying to deal with sin in our own way, in our own abilities? We can't. We can't. But come to the Lord. Come to the Lord and you will find forgiveness in him. Proverbs 28, 13 says, He who conceals his transgressions will not prosper, but he who confesses and forsakes them will find compassion. Isn't that the opposite of what often our our flesh feels in the midst of sin? You can't confess this. If you want to succeed, you're, you're not going to bring this out in the open. Listen, you just need to cover it up. You just need to hide this. This could tear your family apart. This could affect your relationship with others. This this could hurt you in so many ways. Listen, just just get on with your life. Just bury it. And listen, you can just get on with your life. That's a lie. He who conceals his transgression will not prosper, but he who confesses and forsakes them will find compassion. Do we walk in darkness or light? Do we say we have no sin or do we confess sin? And the third test is this. Do we say we have not sinned or do we look to our advocate when we sin? Verse 10, he says, if we say that we have not sinned. Note it sounds similar, but it's different than the false claim of verse 8. In verse 8, they say that we have no sin. Here they say we have not sinned. This false claim asserts that one has never sinned, which denies the clear revelation of God's word and the teaching in regards to sin and the sin nature. But he says here, if we say we have not sinned, we make him a liar and his word is not in us. God makes no provision for men who have not sinned. God's provisions are for individuals who are sinners. 
one commentary, he said this, The acknowledgement of, of honest men confronted with the holiness of God takes the form of, I have sinned. What's the truth here? In verses 1 and 2 of chapter 2. My little children, I am writing these things to you so that you may not sin. Here we see a, a, a purpose, a desire that John writes this, uh, this letter to believers so that you will not sin. I'm writing you to you so that, to encourage you that you may not sin. But look what he says here. And if anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous, and he himself is the propitiation for our sins, and not for our sins only, but also for those of the whole world. Notice here, there's not any encouragement here for those who have not sinned in these verses. But there's encouragement for those who have sinned and whose advocate is Jesus, the righteous. And this initially is, is what, for a few months, this verse has been an encouragement to me. And specifically, if anyone sins, we have an advocate we have an advocate with the Father, not just a few months, probably almost a past year. Because how we can waller in our sins, how we can sit there and beat ourselves up over our sins, how we can sit there and try to do penance over our sins, trying to remove the guilt from our hearts. And yet that does nothing to remove the guilt from our hearts. That does nothing to remove that guilt of sin. But what will? The same thing that removed it as salvation. God's grace through faith. God's grace in His Son, the Lord Jesus Christ, who is that propitiation, that wrath-satisfying sacrifice that removed the wrath of God from our lives. It's that same grace received by works that's not it is it received by faith not of works and so it is as it it continues throughout the christian life it only doesn't start that way in the christian life but it continues that way throughout the christian life that as we are saved by grace through faith we continue by grace through faith Just as our sins were forgiven by God's grace through faith, we experience His his grace and the removal of that guilt from sin as we sin as believers by grace through faith. Looking to the same one that we look to by God's grace as salvation, the Lord Jesus Christ. And so he says, look away from yourselves. If you have sinned, look away from yourself and look to your advocates, the Lord Jesus Christ, your helper. This word is, is only used a few times in Scripture. And the other place that it's used is in the Gospel of John, specifically in regards to the Holy Spirit, the Helper. In John fourteen sixteen to 17 and verse 26 and John 16 to 7. But remember, Jesus says, I will send you another Helper, another Helper, identifying Himself as a helper. And here in First John, it's the work of an advocate. It's a work, the work of an advocate. 
he stands before the Father as our advocate, as the one and the only one who can be our advocate because he is the propitiation for our sins. Not anything in ourselves, not anything we have done, not anything anybody else has done, but save Jesus Christ and what he has done for us. Our propitiation. Look to Jesus. Look to him. Be quick to look to Jesus as your advocate. Isn't that so much better than looking to ourselves and piling on the guilt? Looking to ourselves and saying, oh, but okay, today I've done good though, God. Sure, I did wrong yesterday. Sure, I sinned yesterday. But I haven't done that sin today. And I've done everything else I'm supposed to do today. Well, what happens the next time we sin? Look to Jesus and have the guilt removed and experience the forgiveness of God that cleanses us from all unrighteousness, from all sin. Think about this. What can we do? What can we add to the payment made by Christ for our sins? What can we add to it? Why do we try to add to that sacrifice? By doing things in ourselves, by looking to ourselves. The payment for our sins has been made in full. And God has taken our sins away from us as far as the east is from the west. Listen, when we look to ourselves, we give room for Satan and his attacks to land. We give room and place for Satan and his fiery darts to find a place in our lives. When we're looking at ourselves, Satan can easily pick through our own righteousness, can he? But he has nothing. Who can lay anything against uh, any charge against God's elect in Romans 8? Nobody. There's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. So, brother, know this. When we sin, condemnation that comes, that we feel, is, it's not from God. There's no condemnation for those who are in Christ. Be quick to go to Him. Be quick to go to Christ as our advocates. And let's just close reading Hebrews 7. Hebrews 7. This is similar, not, not exactly... The same as what we read in 1 John about Christ being our advocate. But it's a similar role that Christ has, that of an intercessor. And that's what Romans 8 speaks of, Romans 8.34. But Hebrews 7, starting in verse 23. And remember, much of Hebrews is about how Christ is better than... He's greater than the angels, um, he, and here better than the priest. And that's what he's speaking of here in verses 23 to 25. Look what he says here. The former priests, on the one hand, existed in greater numbers because they were prevented by death from continuing. But Jesus, on the other hand, because he continues forever, holds his priesthood permanently. 
Look at verse 25. Now, therefore, he is able also to save forever those who draw near to God through him, since he always lives to make intercession for them. Look to Jesus. Look to him. He is eternal. He is the eternal priest. He's able to save forever those who draw near to God since he always lives to make intercession for them. Always lives to make intercession for his children. What a glorious truth. What a glorious truth. Hear the light this morning. Hear the light and come to the light because the time is coming when there will not be the opportunity to come to the light anymore. The time is coming when darkness will come and there will not be the opportunity to come to the light, the glorious light of the gospel of Jesus Christ, salvation by grace through faith alone in him. There might not be that opportunity tonight. There might not be that opportunity next week, next month, a year from now. We're not guaranteed that. Come to that light. And believer, be honest about sin in your life. Let us be honest with sin in our life and experience the grace, the forgiveness, and the work of Christ as our advocate that removes the guilt of sin, leaves no residual effect of of sin and its guilt in our life. Look to Jesus and experience that grace and forgiveness.